everyone. You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Aki Ngo and I'm coming to you today from the land of the Bonarong and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations in Nam, also known as Melbourne. Today's topic for Chronically Chilled will be discussing chronic pain and its gender intersections. Joining me today is a special guest and her name is Leah Finley. Welcome Leah and would you love would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Leah Philly. Um, I'm also on Wurundjeri land in Nam. Um, I'm an actor and producer, and I've been living with uh, debilitating chronic pelvic pain for over 20 years. Wow, that is a long, long time. Um, I also live with chronic pain, also pelvic pain, as well as numerous other pains. Um, would you like to share about your experiences with the intersection of gender and why it's so important to have a focus on gender, particularly for women and people of marginalised gender, on why it's so difficult to potentially get the support or a diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, I think that we live in a world built for men and mm-hmm. particularly white men and yep. that affects the kind of care that the rest of us get and uh, how seriously we're taken for our pain, particularly. I think particularly when it comes to invisible illness, it's so easy to dismiss it or write it off and there are so many stereotypes um, and assumptions that kind of abound um, around people who menstruate particularly, I think. Uh, So it's so easy to dismiss anything that's happening as being uh, attributable to to menstruation. Menstruation, yeah. Yeah. Menstrual pain must be your period. Absolutely. Or it must be your moods associated with periods or or stress or anxiety because that's, that's, you know, that's the whole, I guess, history of where hysterical women, I don't, for every... I'm doing quotation marks right now, those we are on the radio. Um, but yeah, that quote unquote hysteria or that assumption of hysteria that comes from women for that exact reason, that everything must be related to reproductive organs, must be related to menstruation. So you mentioned that you've been living with severely uh, debilitating chronic pain for 20 years now. Was that, how was the journey for you to get a diagnosis? How was the journey for you to get support and how are you managing and coping with what you're experiencing? Uh, I mean, I think actually kind of the first point for me is that I still don't have a diagnosis. Um, so I, you know, besides the idea of just chronic pelvic pain. So yes. kind of early on, someone floated the idea of endometriosis and I mm-hmm. went with the assumption that that's what I had yes. uh, actually until about three or four years ago when I finally had laparoscopic surgery to, mm-hmm. um, it's because that's the only way to diagnose for endometriosis. And they found that I didn't have any. And so I found that to kind of, that threw me into of a course. whole new realm of just going back to square one. Of going, oh, okay, I don't have a diagnosis. Is it all in my head? Is this, um, yeah. Anyway, so it was it was quite confronting. And I think that that, I, I feel very strongly that that's another area that's not being talked about. There are so many people out there who are living with invisible illness that is even more marginalised when it doesn't have that that name. That official diagnosis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I I think that's 
what started getting me, I guess, active in in speaking more publicly about this sort of stuff because I think it's really easy to be put back in the shadows and silenced when when you don't have that title. Oh, um, absolutely, and um, extremely, extremely isolating and it, like exhausting because it doesn't make your pain any less real or any less valid but you don't have those answers and and it's very easy as you mentioned when you're in a you know man's world particularly in the medical industry where you are felt made to feel medically gaslit or medically traumatized to then go oh I don't have an official diagnosis but I'm in disabilitating pain that is severely affecting my quality of life yet I don't have a name for it so therefore are you going to take me seriously or not and if you can't and if it's hidden and it's not obvious people don't provide you the supports that you necessarily need and the empathy and understanding that you want from your friends your family your community and so on and so you're right you're you know double marginalized triple marginalized in that aspect of receiving the support for the pain and everything else that you're going through because you don't have an exact answer. So are you still searching for a diagnosis or you, are you grappling with both things? Like it's, it's, a, com- yeah. it's a conflicting question, but I guess it's, it's yeah. Yeah, relevant in a way. I mean, I mean, yes, to a certain extent. Um, but also I think I've kind of come to terms a bit with the fact that I may never have an actual mm-hmm. diagnosis and that that doesn't really change anything. And it means that there's a lot, like even more self-advocacy that has to happen in a medical scenario, I think, because you're you're very open to people throwing anything at you and really making you um, feel like your experience isn't real. But I I think ultimately, whether or not I had endometriosis, the symptoms are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I experience so many of the same things. I manage my pain in the same way as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, I I still would love more answers, but yeah. I also understand that that may not happen. As someone who has gone through a myriad of diagnosis as well as chasing diagnosis in a way just to get answers, I had been told why doesn't matter because we're not going to treat you differently or or um or your treatment plan isn't really going to change I guess but like personally though you feel this sense of validation if you have a name for it so that is completely understandable but at the same time it doesn't change that your experience is very real very painful and as an example you mentioned endometriosis what 15 years ago no no one even knew what that was now it's in the media and there's funding for it and you know no one even believed that it was a real condition up to like the past decade and a bit so who knows it might just be something that you're going through that hasn't got a name to it yet and so many hundreds of thousands of women in history and people with uteruses in history would have were 100% gaslighted to feel like they didn't have those symptoms and yet they were and and it's extremely painful and debilitating 
think I think like as you say, we're we're kind of almost in a dangerous position though too, where we have when when we do start to recognise these names and these illnesses, then also we get people clinging on to that so mm. strongly. Like I see people in support groups just going, "Oh, I just hope it's I get the diagnosis because without that, I've got no validation for my mm. experience." And I think yeah. that that is really dangerous to be putting yeah. people in that that it's one or the other. Like it doesn't yeah. actually doesn't change it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have my pelvic pain is out of a diagnosis of exclusion. So I have vulvodynia and interstitial cystitis, which are both pelvic chronic pain disorders diagnosed through exclusion because they don't know exactly, but they fit the criteria of all of these conditions. So of those conditions that make it to mean that you can only have that so it's a very similar yeah i have a name for it but is it exactly 100 percent eh, are we going to treat you the exact same way are you in pain absolutely do you need support absolutely so whether you you have that or not it's very similar um like i get chronic utis i can just call them chronic utis because they are utis and they're chronic and they're freaking painful so you know it's it like yeah like for clinging on something is not necessarily healthier but you don't you feel because i guess as mentioned earlier like the the medical gaslighting and feeling like you know everything's blamed on menstruation that validation is important but also living your life and not chasing a diagnosis is also as important and advocating for the fact that hidden disabilities invisible disabilities and even dis um, chronic illnesses without a diagnosis or official names are equally as valid and equally as important to respect in different people trying to get through their lives and trying to manage their pain to the best of their ability because that's essentially what all of us want. So, um, Absolutely. And and also, yeah, you know, just to clarify too on what I was saying before, like, of course, a, a diagnosis is very important. Too. Mm -hmm. Like, certainly not eradicating that, just, you know, saying that the way we cling to it perhaps can be damaging in and of itself. Also, it's important to mention that not everybody has the resources financially or otherwise to, 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 to get a specialist, multiple specialists, because they're super expensive in Australia or a waiting list. You could be waiting years upon years to see a specialist to potentially even just give you a consultation that could lead to a diagnosis. So with or without your just as valid is, is, then, is what we can both agree on. Um, so that's really important. And then the intersection with gender, how have you felt that you've been um, treated in terms of your pain other than blaming it on menstruation um, um, have you had positive I mean, negative experiences <laughs> well, I, I think the hysteria element is very very much alive and well um, yeah. I think a big starting point for me on this journey of kind of talking more openly about these experiences and whatnot came when I went to a doctor and was prescribed uh, antidepressants for instead of, um, well, actually, I went there just for a doctor's certificate. It wasn't even, I wasn't even oh, asking goodness. for any medication. And he told me I needed to be on antidepressants. And I'd been in pain for three weeks straight. And I was, I was in bad shape. Yeah. But I, I certainly, I kept telling him I wasn't depressed. And he just sat back with his arms folded and said, oh. I think you're depressed. And, and so that was, I was just filled with such fury. 
the exact same thing has happened to me more than once. Oh my gosh. More than uh, different doctors of different genders. Um, <laughs> Anti-anxiety medication, depressive medication, nerve medication without even a scan, without even a... yeah. Without even a like a, a proper diagnostic tool or conversation, just based on my gender or perceived gender as a non-binary person, I'm feminine presenting. So therefore, it must be anxiety, depression, menstruation, reproductive related, and just give them anti uh, give them antidepressants, anti-anxieties, and you'd be bright as rain. Even though that was not even what you were there for. Yeah. So um, I am sure you're. As we've just discovered, your experience is not uh, independent. Like, sorry, your experience is not the only experience, and mine as well. So I'm sure many, 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 many women or those that are feminine, feminine, feminine presenting, feminine identifying, non-binary would have very similar experiences. Unfortunately, um, and it's just not okay to be treated like that. No, it, that's what's so disheartening, though, isn't it? Realizing that that is such a universal experience. I mean, that shouldn't be normal. That should be unusual. Yes, unusual for someone to 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 be like, I need a medical certificate because I'm being feeling off. Next minute, you're leaving with antidepressants and being told that you feel a certain way, rather yeah. than diagnosed through a diagnostic criteria and tools and scans based on what. A 15, 10 minute conversation yeah. and and a million assumptions based on you based on your gender. It feels like that is such a dominant experience. And yet there are so many amazing health professionals out there who are supporting us and are like fighting for for you all the way along. And so it's just such a shame that it kind of almost gets, I guess, cut down by oh, those absolutely. those few unfortunate individuals. I have to say though, it is hard. Uh, well, Absolutely. You know, there are great health practitioners out there and they, they are supportive and they can do so much for us, but there are also a lot of not so great ones. It's true. And um, I feel that the good ones are so hard to come by. And then when people do come by them, they cling on to them. So then it's so hard for other people to, to, to be able to get that support because they end up full or their waiting list is too long. And, and then you're just like, Oh, what do I do? Uh, you know, I need the support, but it's so hard. So like when people say, just go find a better doctor or go yeah. find a better, you know, X, Y, and Z, it's like, it's not that simple and it's not that easy. Certainly not. Especially if you have something that's complex and anything that isn't a cold flu or something that can be done or taken, you're getting rid of with antibiotics or or antidepressants or anti-anxiety is automatically a bit more complex and then you you can't find the practitioner right for you and you're in a bit of a, a rut going where am I going to get my support from um, absolutely which is also exhausting and shouldn't be a universal such a common experience no which is quite disappointing um so that's that's uh that's unfortunate I'm sorry that you've experienced that but well, I you think, too yeah thank you um I think better-ish now have you found a bit of a support team that's been able to support you I feel like I'm I'm careful like I don't you know that particular doctor it was the first time I'd seen him and so I am I'm very cautious about what what doctors I see and I've found people who are particularly good and who do find you know who understand my situation who are going to 
validate my experience as well because I mean that's such a huge part of it Mm. is just being told that what you're experiencing is hard I mean one thing that really clarified for me I had actually after I was told that I didn't have endometriosis um, I'd had quite a few people kind of trying to explain it away or say oh well you know that's good you're fine and then my GP didn't even he didn't do anything the first time he saw me after um my surgery he sat down and he looked at me and he said how are you doing you must be devastated and Mm. it was such a huge moment for me to realize that actually that's what I didn't I didn't need somebody else telling me what it could be or Mm -hmm. or trying to find something else I actually just needed to be listened to and seen and how much that is such a huge part that's missing from Uh. our treatment as well yes Uh absolutely to feel seen to feel listened to yeah it should be the core of the healthcare system they absolutely a yab on about person-centered care all the time but does it actually happen in reality not so much and yeah. that's awesome to know that you have a gp that was able to do that for you because they are not easy to come by <laughs> no they are few and far between I, yeah. I that was the moment I realized I'd, I'd struck upon a gem <laughs> yeah that's so wonderful to know um yeah. and another topic that I wanted to bring up is that you are actually working on a documentary about uh, chronic pain um yeah. with an author named Gabrielle Jackson who's written a book called pain and prejudice which is about chronic pain and the issues with prejudice relating to women and other marginalized, particularly women, but also marginalized genders in dealing with chronic pain. Could you share a bit about that and perhaps tell us about the documentary and your work with Gabrielle? Well, so I read the book, I guess, almost as soon as it came out, um, Mm -hmm. read Pain and Prejudice and was just blown away by it. Um, Gabrielle does this extraordinary job of condensing four years of research into a book um, that <laughs> looking at why this prejudice exists and yep. the, like the, the history that it's uh, grounded in. And I think that's so important to really understand mm-hmm. how we've gotten to where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was already actually kind of looking at making a documentary about chronic pain. And once her book came out, I realised that her book was kind of everything and and my my co-producer and I said you know I think it would be a really good idea to option this book and so we we got the rights to Gabrielle's amazing book and Mm -hmm. um have been working on that since so the documentary will be called Pain and Prejudice uh it's a long journey wow (laughs) as these things tend to be um in independent cinema but um but yes it's been amazing I mean that's I feel like I've just it does give you a bit of hope, like talking to the, the people who are out there fighting for change in this yeah. arena, talking to the people who are experiencing such debilitating pain and are fighting to still like to change things and to be heard and to be support networks for other people. It's, it's quite inspiring. So kudos to you, your team, Gabrielle, to the lives that you will be changing and the validation and support that you are going to be giving people through this wonderful work, um, you that that documentary will make such a difference because people will actually be like, "Hey, I'm not alone. There's a world out there of people that have gone through so many of the struggles and challenges and stresses and exhaustive aspects of the medical field that I've gone through, and 
by golly, it's been, it, there have been so many isolating experiences. So if anything, that will be a massive part of what your work is doing just to make people feel less isolated and then educate a bajillion, hopefully bajillions of people <laughs> why this prejudice exists and then yeah. prevent it from happening, ideally. Yeah. That's, that's the goal, I assume that is. Yeah, absolutely. Let's change the way we, we deal with these topics. Let's change the way we look at pain too yeah. and deal with pain. Um but yeah, absolutely. I think I think the isolating aspect of chronic illness is so enormous and you do feel like you're so alone. And once you start to find those communities and realise that there are so many people out there in the same boat as you, it, it does at least, I don't know, lift the burden a little bit perhaps. A little bit, yeah. A I tiny mean, bit. <laughs> it's kind of like this pain is excruciating, it's exhausting, it's sometimes takes away my sanity a bit and I never want anybody to experience it but at the same time I'm glad that you do because I'm not alone like I never wish I don't want to wish it on anyone of course because it really is not pleasant but at least I'm not dealing with this alone and that I'm not feeling like all the times that I've been told that it's in my head that it is because it isn't and now I know for a fact that it isn't because so many other people have experienced it the same way as I have and thus having this come to light and, and being able to have this documentary would mean so much for so many people. Would you like to share a bit about the processes of it and like when we could be expecting it or anything like that? Is it still too soon? Like- I, it's unfortunately still too soon. I wish yep. I had a definitive answer for that. <laughs> but it's been, I mean, it's a process also of building relationships of too and, and getting to know people and finding where our stories are. And I think the thing is too that it's such an enormous topic. Oh, you know, cool. realizing that this is there, there are so many facets of it. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you actually kind of encompass all of that and then still hopefully have this message for uh, change going forward? So it's, yeah, it, you know, that's, that's kind of been the process of the last couple of years is building these relationships and, and figuring out where our story goes. But fingers crossed, things oh. start to move forward in a quicker way soon. Yeah. <laughs> For listeners, we both have our fingers crossed. So, um, I like that. That would be so incredible um, to have such a resource as well, because it's obviously not a like educational, but also like inspiring and supportive for members of the community experience similar things. And I also can imagine it. It's also not just about the like it's chronic pain as a whole, but it's also about highlighting that there's multiple marginalizations with gender with you know if you're a woman or a person of a different of of a marginalized gender but also if you're queer or a person of color or from a lower socioeconomic status or from a non-english speaking background if you're a refugee if you're a migrant like all of these other things like how are you going to get the answers and support if you're like less resourced because it is really hard when you are let alone when you don't and you're like dealing with all these other marginalizations and intersections our listeners particularly those that are living with chronic illness or know someone with chronic illness that has chronic pain as a part of their illness will be so excited for this to come out to be so excited for the work that you're doing and who knows you might have many people reach out and say they want to be involved and have those (laughs) relationships you know and connect with you and support this process because you know we do need to be listened to and um I guess this is another question 
have you been impacted by the changes with pain medication in Australia um, at all or, or know of the, the changes with like reforms with medication? I haven't been in drastically. No, okay. no yep. I haven't. Yeah. I mean, in like, uh, I mean, I, in terms of like, there's the drug seeker aspect, which I think, <laughs> I think probably everybody's been affected by to a certain extent, you know, you, you immediately just feel like you're a drug seeker. Yep. Um, and are made to, and I'm, yeah. So I guess on that level, but not in a really drastic way. No. So that's I've, fantastic I've been lucky. I've been know. lucky. Yes. yes. Well, that's fantastic to know, but also not great for me to feel like a drug seeker when <laughs> you are not and you are living with valid chronic pain. Um, I, as a person living with chronic pain, I've also been made to feel that way. And, you know, the reforms and the policies and the changes um, that aren't like community consultative and, you know, use and listen to the voices of people actually living with chronic pain does make it so much more difficult. So I only brought it up because obviously these documentaries to change the way that people are viewed and that people are listened to. So, you know, then I just kind of thought about the opposite, which was, you know, (laughs) when you're not listened to and there's no comprehensive community consultative approach to ensure that people don't feel ignored and, and as someone that has worked within the chronic pain industry, that has been a common um, theme that people living with chronic pain don't feel like they're being listened to. Yeah. They feel like they're not being valued. They're feeling that their pain is invisible. But what's even worse is the stigma of being, you know, told that they're a drug seeker or treating, being treated like they're a drug seeker. So even when they're in excruciating pain, they don't seek help because they're just going to be told, go home and it will eventually go away or that you're overstressed and if you meditate you'll be fine or do some yoga that it will go away which I assume you've probably been told oh yeah and then and then you get scared of actually reaching out when you do really need help too because you've been scarred so many times when you when you do show up or when you do ask for it yeah that is uh, uh I've experienced that way more than I can probably recount and remember and it sounds like you have too and I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners who experience chronic pain or have um any family members friends community mem- uh, colleagues that do have experienced something similar so that unsolicited advice not fun uh, and maybe no. and and not and that's the problem though like when you are brushed off so many times if you are you should be going to the hospital because something's gravely wrong. You just don't because you kind of just like, they're just going to treat me and brush yeah. me off. Um, and that's a very, very gendered, very common gendered experience um, when, when, when you're unfortunately, uh, you know, not a man that gets taken a bit more seriously because it is a man's world, as we mentioned early in the episode. So um, in, in the show, so that is hard. So I guess what you're trying to do is change the world, <laughs> which is so exciting. Um, that's really amazing. Um, is there anything else? Thank. It's been a wonderful conversation. With is there anything else that you'd like to mention or let one our viewers, not viewers, sorry, our listeners, to know about in relation to pain and its gender intersections? Anything you'd like oh. to bring up? At all? Well, I think I think it just always comes back to you're not alone and there yeah. are people to reach out to as well and it is a, a community <laughs> you know as much as we wish it didn't actually have to exist like I feel yeah. like there is a lot of a lot of support there too when you need it 
people who yeah. are good and will believe you. Absolutely. And I don't know if people realise this, but like there are like four or five million Australians that live with chronic pain. It's a, it's a yeah. pretty prevalent issue. Um, and it's overwhelmingly women. Um, it's overwhelmingly women that live with chronic pain. And yet at times women marginal and people with marginalised genders are least supported, least at, yeah. the least listened to, the least valued, the least respected and the least treated with dignity which should be the other way around. We have statistics that say this many people with chronic pain, it's overwhelmingly women. That's a trend and that should be going down, not up. And yeah. it shouldn't be those experiences and it shouldn't be so common. Um, yeah, you're obviously not the first person I've spoken to about chronic pain, but your experiences are very similar to pretty much everyone, yep. um, which is not okay. So yeah, thank you again for your sharing of your experiences. I'm so glad that you have a GP that's a gem. I'm so <laughs> glad that you and Gabrielle are connected and that Gabrielle's book, you know, has captured so much. For our listeners, um, if you're not aware, Gabrielle is an investigative journalist that, that works in journalism and lives with chronic pain herself. So use her own lived experience to create a book so that women um, don't feel less alone and that, that prejudice could be understood and the reasons why. So it's so fantastic that Leah and Gabrielle have come together to be able to create something for our community. So thank you once again. Oh, thank you so much, Aki. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you to all our listeners, sending well wishes, safety and solidarity to all the members of our community, including those, as Leah and I have mentioned, who have been forgotten, not believed and unsupported on their chronic illness and especially their chronic pain journey. Um, and yeah, thank you. That's all we have time for today. You've been listening to chronic, Chronically Chilled on 3CR. We'll be back on the first Wednesday of each month. You can also catch us on podcast and on the 3CR website. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much, everyone. Three CR Community Radio, eight five five AM.